0: So tonight I'll be speaking about the third of the paramis, that of renunciation. The first two being generosity and virtue. I figure if I start every talk by reciting what the ones prior to it were, maybe by the end (laughs) some of us will remember the list of the paramis. (laughs) It's not always so easy to do. (laughs) Um, So renunciation, what is it? Renunciation is where we can let go, relinquish. It's where the non-grasping mind is not present. In the beginning of the path, we often uh, need to practice restraint because we don't know the wisdom of renunciation. But as our wisdom grows, we begin to see how renunciation is a natural expression of wisdom. Renunciation is helpful as we begin the journey because it is a way that we can let go of that which is not serving us that which is extra, that which is distraction. We let go of that which perpetuates bewilderment, confusion. Um, We can simplify our lives, and it helps us to get clear in our life about what is important, what is of value. I think it holds true of renunciation, as is said of the Dhamma, that it too is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. It really enables us to let go of excess baggage, the excess baggage that so often weighs us down in our lives. And I know that when we hear the word renunciation, it may be that we don't um, have a natural upliftment that happens in the mind. More when we hear, you know, I'm going to talk about renunciation, it could be, oh God, now I'm going to hear about all the things I should let go of that, I don't really want to, or, you know, the time, we remember the times in our lives where maybe we thought we would renounce something and then really struggled with desire and came up with feelings of unworthiness, um, self-judgment when we didn't find that capacity to let go. Uh, And so, you know, at times we can really feel like a jellyfish almost as we wrestle with desire and this practice of renunciation. So I'd like to share something from the suttas, uh, because it was, it's, you know, it's not only us that can struggle with renunciation. Uh, it also happened, you know, for people living in the time of the Buddha. And the sutta that I'm reading uh, is actually the Buddha speaking about how it was even difficult for him. And for me, it's really helpful to know that you know, I'm not the only one that struggles. <clears throat> one day, a householder, Tapusa, went to the Venerable Ananda, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he expressed to Ananda the difficulties he was having with renunciation, and how it seemed contrary to worldly life. Ananda responded, this calls for a talk, householder. Let's go see the Blessed One. Let's approach him and on arrival tell him this matter. However he explains it to us, we will bear it in mind." So they went to the Blessed One and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, Ananda said to the Blessed One, Tapusa, the householder here, has said to me, Venerable Ananda, sir, we are householders who indulge in sensuality, delight in sensuality, enjoy sensuality, rejoice in sensuality. For us, indulging in sensuality, delighting in sensuality, enjoying sensuality, rejoicing in sensuality, renunciation seems like a sheer (laughs) drop-off." Yet, I have heard that in this doctrine and discipline, the hearts of the very young monks leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So right here is where this doctrine and discipline is contrary to the great mass of people, this issue of renunciation. So it is, Ananda, so it is. Even I, myself, before my awakening, when I was still an unawakened bodhisattva, thought, renunciation is good, seclusion is good. But my heart didn't leap up at renunciation. It didn't grow confident, steadfast or firm, or see it as peace. The thought occurred to me, what is the cause? What is the reason why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation? doesn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation. I haven't familiarized myself with it. That's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation, doesn't grow confident, steadfast or firm, seeing it as peace. Then the thought occurred to me, if having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I were to pursue that theme, and if if, having understood the reward of renunciation, I were to familiarize myself with it, There's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation, grow confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. So at a later time, having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures, I pursued that theme. Having understood the reward of renunciation, I familiarized myself with it. My heart leapt up at renunciation, grew confident, steadfast, and firm, seeing it as peace. Then, quiet, withdrawn from sensuality, withdrawn from unskillful qualities, I entered and remained in the first jhana, rapture and pleasure born from withdrawal, accompanied by direct thought and evaluation." In looking at what the Buddha said, for me, it's a taking to heart the understanding of the drawbacks of sensual pleasure and understanding the rewards of renunciation. Our time on retreat really allows us to deeply understand this. We will, in our time here, explore both of these, exploring the drawbacks of sensual pleasure. This can be quite easy to see at times on retreat. It might be just noticing you know, at, during a meal when it's our favorite dish. And without paying attention to um, desire, we find that we overeat, and then we might sit and be faced with a stomach that hurts for hours, or we might sit and be faced with uh, quite strong sleepiness. Or it might be in our sitting, when we find ourselves trying to fabricate a state of calm that we experienced in another sitting. It might also be in a moment or moments where, you know, at one moment we're totally satisfied and at deep peace with our experience. And then it changes, and we're craving that, that experience again. We might also notice the difference between an imagined event and then the event when it actually happens. We find many, many ways that we can see for ourselves, recognize for ourselves the pitfalls of sensual desire. Just the endless cycle of chasing after these pleasant experiences. You now, really, this looking into the wanting mind, feeling the unsatisfactoriness of it, feeling the disappointment that so often accompanies uh, this facet of experience, and even noticing the agitation that happens in the mind when we're fraught with uh, desire for sensual experiences. We also will have many opportunities to reap the rewards of renunciation. You know, just sitting here, we can experience life on quite a simple level. You know, our lives are much simpler than they are at home. Many of the distractions that we would be faced with at home are not present on a retreat. The world is very uncomplicated. And within that, we might notice how much easier it is for the mind to concentrate, to become collected, unified, when we're not exposed to so much distraction. This, in turn, helps us to be able to work with or notice the workings of desire when they arise. in noticing the rewards of renunciation. We might also, on retreat, notice the times when we can easily relinquish, let go, where there's a grace and an ease and we actually experience the coolness of the mind as the grasping disappears. We can pay attention to how much more energy we have, when we're not so distracted, and how unified the energy becomes. You know, we can see that after the first few days of being on a retreat, we often notice uh, an increase in the amount of energy that we have. It's not always the case, but can often be the case. And you know, this holds true in our lives. When our lives are simpler, when we simplify um, you know, what we do in life, what we surround ourselves life, with in life, it really helps to unify us in a way that we can more e- easily and readily see that which needs our attention, that which is calling on our attention, because we're not so distracted, not so scattered. I remember a time in my own life when it was a time I had a really full life. You know, my job was demanding, I was physically active, I um, had a you know, full social calendar, and then the Dhamma became much more meaningful to me. Meditation was really calling on me. And, you know, there was a a, like kind of looking at my life, seeing this really full life, and then thinking I needed to have a regular practice, and thinking, oh my God, how is this ever going to work? And yet, you know, I made that commitment to having practice, to sitting regularly. And what I discovered was that that helped to guide me towards uh, letting go of that which was no longer serving me in my life and there was a really natural uh, letting go of things that were not of so much value. So I'd like to suggest as I speak about renunciation to see if we can hold it in the way where it's not a forceful event based upon ideals of what we should do but that it really can be done from the place of really clarifying what will help our hearts to unfold, what will give support to us in this journey. And in this way, it's based upon wisdom and not aversion. True renunciation is not born of the world of shoulds and should-nots, which can hold in it a sense of deprivation. We, c- we find, actually, when we're holding it um, in a really self-referencing way, when you know, even if it's held with a great sense of nobility but it is referring back to us, right, and it could be in the instance of self-aggrandizing where, you know, we're thinking that, oh, if I can really let go and renounce, you know, I, almost like we take on a holier-than-thou stance. But that in itself is very, a, con- a very constricted way of holding renunciation and not so helpful. But when it's really based upon a wisdom that knows these drawbacks of sensuality, uh, then it becomes much easier. It's held in a much more skillful way. Lama Yeshe who is, you know, a very wonderful Tibetan master, uh, once said about renunciation, it's a wish to emerge from the repeated frustrations and disappointments of ordinary life. When renunciation is filled with wisdom, it is the knowing that the world of sense-desire will never give us the promised fulfillment and provides with with provides us with the volition to cease to chase after this endless stream of desire. So when we hold renunciation with wisdom, it really helps us with a healthy volition. You know, our volition of restraint is not uh, based upon you know aversion, fear, cutting off, suppression, repression but based upon knowing that there is a skillfulness to letting go of sense-desire. And we're just simply trying to give the mind support. And, you know, I've just seen for myself over and over again how that support can be so helpful You know, it's really on one level, um, you know, if we're giving ourselves support to the relinquishing of any addiction, then, you know, if, if you're quitting drinking, you don't go and hang out in a bar. You protect, you give support to the mind so that it can work skillfully with this addiction. And so, you know, renunciation is really the helping us to have support through working with desire for sense pleasure. It's really a way of expressing the deepest kindness to ourselves. In another sutta, the Buddha referred to renunciation as rest. I think this is very helpful to hear. Because we can, you know, as I said, hold it in a really brutal place. And yet, hearing this, renunciation as rest. It's the rest from the grasping mind. renunciation is really tied in with a deepening understanding of the four noble truths. The truth of suffering, the cause of suffering, the cessation, and the way leading to the uh, cessation of suffering. And, you know, the cause of suffering being craving. When we really understand this, it makes the path of renunciation seem like a worthy path, a helpful path, a path that the Buddha spoke about over and over again as being helpful. And when we can see renunciation as being something like a renouncing of the hindrances, it can take on a much more joyful aspect. You know, when we think of renouncing the hindrances, something that we know through our own experience as being very painful, to you know being caught in hindrances, how much pain we can suffer, we can see that there is a joy that comes from when we think of renouncing these hindrances. And renunciation is really about renouncing, relinquishing, the suffering in our lives, relinquishing that which binds our hearts. We find that there are three levels that we can work with renunciation. We can work with renunciation in the outer world, And this can be the working with sense desires, uh, the wanting of pleasurable sights, sounds, tastes, touch. It can be the deliberate effort to work with uh, renunciation through the simplification of our lives uh, in regard to material wealth, possessions. Uh, The second level is that of working with renunciation on the inner level. And this can be where we work with the abandoning of painful emotions, mind states, uh, the relinquishment of the world of fantasy and imagination. And you know, through our practice we often see just how lost in fantasy we become. So lost in our dreams that we fail to recognize, be truthful, honest about our experience in the moment. And the third level of renunciation is when we work at renunciation on the level of the ultimate, the level of the abandonment of the concept of I, me, or mine, the level of false view, or the level of really feeling, or caught, being caught up in this sense of there being a small, separate, unchanging self. So I'll speak a little bit about each of these three levels. So the first level, uh, being the Level of renunciation in the outer world. This tradition is really a tradition of renunciates. You know, the Buddha so often spoke about renunciation, he encouraged the homeless life. Um, It is, you know, even said that in the Jataka tale, in the life where the Buddha perfected the parami of renunciation. The the story was that in that life he had been born into a royal family and was destined to become the heir of, uh, of that kingdom at some point in his life. And he was also born with a desire to be a renunciate to really live the life of renunciation as the path of purification leading to liberation. And so it's said that during that life, in order to escape or to be free from this weight of being the king of this kingdom, in which case he would be uh, put in some difficult circumstances um, and have a much more complex life, that he pretended that he was both a mute and a cripple. Uh, And so, you know, for 16 years he pretended he could not speak, and that he could pretend that he could not move. And then, finally, he was freed from uh, the life of having to rule the kingdom and he was free to follow the path of liberation. And, you know, the story just points towards you know, that... the renunciation being a necessary part, necessary tool to work with on the path of liberation. And, you know, this path of renunciation, in coming here, we have really temporarily taken on this same path. We have left behind us close friends, family members. We have left behind us homes that we live in where we may have a sense of safety, where we may have a sense of control. One of the ways we work with renunciation in coming on retreat is that we relinquish that sense of control. That here, we don't have the same amount of control over the food that we eat. We don't have control over the time of day that we shower. We don't have control over the temperature that we live in. We don't have control over whether windows are open or closed. You know, that there's really levels of renunciation in just coming here that we have undertaken. You know, from the family that we left behind to, you know, really being challenged in that uh, relinquishment in being here. And that will force us to look at issues that we may have around control. uh, Issues that we may have of desire, aversion. You know, and this really offers us a level of simplification in our lives here, a level of not being so distracted. And, you know, within that, we will also see the mind that wants to be distracted. You know, I sat a number of retreats before I really recognized that wanting of distraction when I would find myself over and over again reading labels on toilet paper rolls or you know every time i had a shower i would find myself reading the label on the back of my shampoo bottle and it took me a long time to recognize you know the power of craving that was there the need for distraction and this is what happens when we simplify our environment that often these needs will come up full force in in our minds and you know that just pay attention to that as it's arising. Because by practicing restraint, by practicing renunciation, the mirror gets stronger. While we're here, we can also really look at the ways that we do distract ourselves and how we can practice renunciation you know so for some of us it may be really doing the eight precepts really simplifying our life so we just fall into the rhythm sitting walking sitting walking you know some some people take on one meal a day for some people it's two meals a day and, you know, that can be really helpful. And just as I'm speaking about that, to say that um, it can be helpful to make a real commitment to it. Because I know there was a time in my own practice, in the exploration of the eight precepts, where I thought, you know, well, maybe I don't quite need to be so strict, so so maybe some days I'll... I'll have the eight precepts, but there might be a day where I kind of really feel like I need food, and maybe I should have food on that day. And then that started setting up in me this wishy-washy thing of, you know, trying to decide each day, should I, shouldn't I, Um, and then, you know, come around to evening tea, oh, well, yeah, I think my body really needs food today. Was it my body or was it my mind? You know, and so to if you're going to do the eight precepts, to really commit to taking it for a period of time. And, um, you know, then you can re-evaluate after, you know, if, even if it's three days that you totally commit to see what the result is. Or maybe it's a week or two weeks, and then reevaluate. And there can be times in our lives or particular people that eight precepts is really not right for. We may have health concerns. Um, and it may not be the right thing to do, but that doesn't mean that we can you know, just totally let go of this aspect of renunciation. It may be that we can renounce that extra cup of tea between uh, morning breakfast and lunchtime, or that extra cup of tea at some point in the day. It may be that we also uh, find many chores that we need to do in our yogi day life, and maybe a real continual uh, futzer around in our rooms. And maybe we don't need to be doing all of that. So I just encourage you to take a look at your day. Take a look at what you really need to do, and what's extra. And seeing if you can't let go of the extra. Seeing how simple you can let your life be. Another way that we're working with... um, Renunciation is through the living of the precepts that I mentioned a few days ago. And this is where we're really consciously letting go of unwholesome behavior and instead turning towards wholesome acts of body, speech, and mind. We make a conscious effort not to be run by our desires and to living a life of non-harming. In this outer realm of renunciation, in the living of it in a larger context, can really be the exploration of living in a more simple way. You know, seeing that the more we buy, the more money we need, the more we have to work, the more we have to work, the less um, time we have for formal practice, not meaning that, you know, we can't practice while we're working. But that it just brings a level of complexity to our lives. And working with restraint in our in outward lives, um, when we use it as a way of investigating desire, you know, really looking to see, is this necessary or is just this just from fueling of desires? it helps us to explore this greed in our minds. Mm -hmm. And this is, of course, all supported by mindfulness, all supported by really bringing a steady awareness and being able to be honest, open, and accepting when we see greed in the mind, but not having to act on it not having to do something to get, to acquire, to become through the force of greed. Suzuki Roshi, a well-known Zen master, once said, Renunciation is not giving up the things of this world, but accepting that they go away. It's also an expression of wisdom with renunciation. The second form of renunciation is in the inner world. And this is where the inner states of mind, such as anger, fear, sadness, Joy, calmness, or any other state is relinquished. It's also where, as I mentioned, we relinquish the fantasies, the stories of our lives, the dreams. Um, But it's where we learn to renounce both the pleasant and the unpleasant mind states. And this really ties into what Suzuki Roshi was saying the not giving up the things of this world, but the accepting that they go away. You know, we, we can probably understand easily the willingness to relinquish the painful states of mind. But our practice is also learning to relinquish, to renounce, to let go of the pleasant states of mind the calmness, the tranquility, the joy. And through our practice, we will be continually seeing that there's a necessity to do this because to hang on to anything is suffering. And so we find that we are called to renounce more and more subtle states of peace, calm, and tranquility. It isn't that we cut off or deny them, but that we simply let them come and let them go. And they don't belong to us. And as we do this, we find that we relinquish them and find a path that has a much more subtle, enduring happiness. So the second form of renunciation, the renunciation of the inner world, inner states of mind. The third form of renunciation is the renunciation of the false view of self. And as the Buddha said, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to as I or mine. This is the greatest of renunciation. The renunciation of giving back that which was never ours to begin with. That which we have only taken claim to through not seeing clearly. Through this we relinquish the great burden of self. We will experience this as we see over and over again to, into the three characteristics of experience, as we see into the truth of impermanence, as we see into the transitory nature of this experience. You know, this very be, tied, <laughs> being tied very closely into seeing the drawbacks of sensual pleasure, that it's all impermanent, it's all passing and that there is nothing in that to hang on to. And we learn that it's not a personal failing. And we accept this. And as we see into the the nature of suffering that these are all transitory experiences, we really see that these experiences are not capable of satisfying us. And through this we see into the insustentability or seeing that there is nothing to cling to, then there is a radical renunciation that naturally happens. We don't tell the mind to let go, but we let go because there is nothing to hang on to, no thing to hang on to we begin to understand it on a cellular level. Ajahn Buddhadasa, a famous Thai forest master, says, We are giving back to nature the things that we have falsely appropriated from it. This mind, these feelings, this body, the breath itself, they do not really belong to us. When we see that, instead of feeling deprived of something we thought was ours, we feel a great freedom, the liberation that the Buddha promised. So, through renunciation, we give back the things that we have falsely appropriated from nature. It's also helpful in our time here to really reflect on, become more familiar with the rewards of renunciation. And so to notice the times when we experience it as a natural volition in the mind. It might be at a time when you do sit down to your favorite lunch, a lunch that you really love. Maybe it's um, spaghetti with tofu meatballs. And as you sit down, you, ha- you eat mindfully, you eat your lunch, and then at the end, there's the desire for more. But you note it as desire. You uh, experience it simply as desire. Maybe you check in with the body to see how it's feeling, and you recognize that, um, that the needs have been met, and you simply let go. And it's easeful that It's not, you know, needing to remind yourself of renunciation, but it just happens with ease. And this happens more easily when we recognize that the satisfaction that we get through pursuing these sense desires is really only a temporary happiness at best. We find ourselves better able to look at a bigger picture, and to know that greed has consequences. We might remember that in the past, overeating has caused discomfort in the body, the sluggishness, and so you know we readily let go. And it's important to notice that relief that comes in letting go, because this is what will help to reinforce wisdom. In the description of renunciation, it's said that renunciation has the characteristic of departing from sense pleasures and existence. And to recognize that this is really going against the cultural norm, um, where, you know there is so much of a prevalence of going for greed, going for wanting, the satisfying of sense di- desires. And so in working with renunciation. It's really a turning away from that cultural norm and departing from sense pleasures and its existence. Its function is to verify their unsatisfactoriness. We really begin to see for ourselves into this unsatisfactoriness. We see experience for ourselves the suffering we see how, even if over and over again we get what we want, we're still left feeling unsatisfied. <clears throat> the manifestation of renunciation is the withdrawal from, you know, where we can really practice restraint, where we really can relinquish, and we become not interested anymore in chasing after. the proximate cause or the conditions that most easily give rise to renunciation is said to be spiritual urgency and i've you know seen this in my own life could be you know at times in our lives where we have a strong experience of impermanence it could be through death could be through illness where suddenly we wake up to the truth of impermanence, and our petty desires simply fall away. It brings about a sense of urgency. It brings about the volition to fully utilize this moment in life, knowing there is no promise of the future. <clears throat> we find a strengthening of our motivation to challenge our habituated ways of living. When we work with renunciation, you know, just even on very basic levels in our practice, some of which I've outlined, it helps us to understand, you know, the value, the wisdom of renunciation. And then we find it simply becomes a way of life. And this really helps us just to partake in the simple pleasures of life, because the mind is not filled with grasping. And we find, when we practice renunciation, that we can, when walking, enjoy simply walking. When we're sitting, we can be simply sitting. When we're drinking a cup of tea, it's just drinking that cup of tea. Because we have renounced all other experience. It opens us up to the experience in this moment. The whole quality of our lives becomes affected. We put down the chains of wanting and needing and find a greater freedom. Toku Urgen Rinpoche, a Tibetan master, uh, says of renunciation renunciation is the sign of true accomplishment, blessing, and realization. Renunciation means to understand that time is running out and everything passes. In other words, it is a natural disenchantment with samsaric attainments and any samsaric state. From this letting go, renunciation happens naturally. It's an expression of wisdom. It's good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. Sometimes in the beginning it's challenging, but it becomes (laughs) very useful. I know that we love it when it happens with ease, but sometimes just having that strength of conviction to practice restraint, giving support to ourselves, helping ourselves, being a friend to ourselves. So seeing that we can support renunciation by reflection on the drawbacks of sense pleasures and the reward of renunciation, and thus discovering the joy of renunciation. So let's just sit for a moment. May all beings come to know the joy of renunciation. A joy that leads to the greatest happiness. The sharing of blessings. Now let us chant the verses of sharing
1: and aspiration. Through the goodness that arises from my practice, may my spiritual teacher.